Chapter Ten of the Triumph of the Scarlet Pimpernel by Emma Orsi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Triumph of the Scarlet Pimpernel by Emma Orsi. Chapter Ten: The Grim Idol That the World Adores. Theresia, being a woman, was necessarily the more accomplished actor, while Talion retired into a gloomy corner of the room, vainly trying to conceal his agitation she rose quite serene in order to greet her visitors pepita had just admitted into her mistress's apartments a singular group composed of two able-bodied men supporting a palsied one one of the former was saint just one of the most romantic figures of the revolutionary period the confidant and intimate friend of robespierre and own cousin to armand saint just and to the beautiful marguerite who had married the fastidious english milord sir percy blakeney the other was chauvelin at one time one of the most influential members of the committee of public safety now little more than a hanger-on of robespierre's party a man of no account to whom not even talion and his colleagues thought it worth while to pay their court the palsied man was couton despite his crimes an almost pathetic figure in his helplessness after his friends had deposited him in an armchair and wrapped a rug around his knees the carrying chair in which he spent the greater part of his life had been left down below in the concierge's lodge and saint just and chauvelin had carried him up the three flights of stairs to citoyen cabarus's apartment close behind these three men came robespierre heavens if a thunderbolt had fallen from the skies on that night of the twenty sixth of april seventeen ninety four and destroyed house number twenty two in the rue Viedo, with all those who were in it what a torrent of blood would have been stemmed what horrors averted what misery forfended but nothing untoward happened the four men who sat that night and well into the small hours of the morning in the dingy apartment occupied for the present by the beautiful cabarus were allowed by inscrutable providence to discuss their nefarious designs unchecked in truth there was no discussion one man dominated the small assembly even though he sat for the most part silent and apparently self-absorbed wrapped in that taciturnity and even occasional somnolence which seemed to have become a pose with him of late he sat on a high chair prim and upright immaculately dressed in blue cloth coat and white breeches with clean linen at throat and wrist his hair neatly tied back with a black silk bow his nails polished his shoes free from mud he represented a marked contrast to the ill-conditioned appearance of those other products of revolutionary ideals saint just on the other hand young handsome a brilliant talker and convinced enthusiast was only too willing to air his compelling eloquence was in fact the mouthpiece of the great man as he was his confidant and his right hand he had acquired in the camps which he so frequently visited a breezy dictatorial manner that pleased his friends and irritated talion and his clique more especially when sententious phrases fell from his lips which were obviously the echo of some of robespierre's former speeches in the convention then there was couton sarcastic and contemptuous delighting to tease talion and to affect a truculent manner which brought abject flattery from the other's lips saint just the fiery young demagogue and couton the half-paralyzed enthusiast 
were known to be pushing their leader toward the proclamation of a triumvirate, with Robespierre as chief dictator and themselves as his two hands, and it amused the helpless cripple to see just how far the obsequiousness to Talion and his colleagues would go in subscribing to so monstrous a project. As for Chauvelin, he said very little, and the deference wherewith he listened to the others, the occasional unctuous words which he let fall, bore testimony to the humiliating subservience to which he had sunk. And the beautiful Theresia, presiding over the small assembly like a goddess who listens to the prattle of men, sat for the most part quite still, on the one dainty piece of furniture of which her dingy apartment boasted. She was careful to sit so that the rosy glow of the lamp fell on her in the direction most becoming to her attitude. From time to time she threw in a word, but all the while her whole attention was concentrated on what was said. At her future husband's fulsome words of flattery, at his obvious cowardice before the popular idol and his cringing abjectness, a faint smile of contempt would now and then force itself up to her lips but she never reproved nor encouraged him, and when Robespierre appeared to be flattered by Talion's obsequiousness, she even gave a little sigh of satisfaction. Saint-Just, now as always the mouthpiece of his friend, was the first to give a serious turn to the conversation. Compliments, flatteries, had gone their round, platitudes, grandiloquent phrases on the subject of country, intellectual revolution, liberty, purity, and so on, had been spouted with varying eloquence. The fraternal suppers had been alluded to with servile eulogy of the giant brain who had conceived the project. Then it was that Saint-Just broke into a euphemistic account of the disorderly scene in the Rue Saint-Honoré. Theresia Cabarus, roused from her queen-like indifference, at once became interested. "'The young traitor!' she exclaimed, with a great show of indignation. "'Who was he? What was he like?' Couton gave quite a minute description of Bertrand, and accurate one, too. He had faced the blasphemer. Thus was he called by this compact group of devotees and sycophants, for fully five minutes, and despite the flickering and deceptive light, had studied his features, distorted by fury and hate, and was quite sure that he would know them again. Theresia listened eagerly caught every inflection of the voices as they discussed the strange events that followed. The keenest observer there could not have detected the slightest agitation in her large, velvety eyes, not even when they met Robespierre's coldly inquiring gaze. No one, not even Talion, could have guessed what an effort it cost her to appear unconcerned, while all the while she was straining every sense in the direction of the small kitchen at the end of the passage where the much-discussed Bertrand was still lying concealed. However, the certainty that Robespierre's spies and those of the committees had apparently lost complete track of Moncrief did much to restore her assurance, and her gaiety became, after a while, somewhat more real. At one time she turned boldly to Talion. "'You were there too, citizen,' she said provokingly. "'Did you not recognize any of the traitors?' Talion stammered out an evasive answer, implored her with a look not to taunt him and not to play like a thoughtless child within sight and hearing of a man-eating tiger. Theresia's dalliance with the young and handsome Bertrand must, in truth, be known to Robespierre's army of spies, and he, Talion, was not altogether convinced that the fair Spaniard, despite her assurances to the contrary, 
was not harbouring Moncrief in her apartment even now. Therefore he would not meet her tantalising glance, and she, delighted to tease, threw herself with greater zest than before into the discussion, amused to see sober Talion, whom in her innermost heart she despised, enduring tortures of apprehension. Ah! she exclaimed, apparently enraptured by Saint-Just's glowing account of the occurrence. What would I not give to have seen it all? In truth, we do not often get such thrilling incidents every day in this dull and dreary Paris. The death-carts with their load of simpering aristos have ceased to entertain us. But the drama in the Rue Saint-Honoré, à la bonne heure, what a palpitating scene! Especially, added Couton, the spiriting away of the company of traitors through the agency of that mysterious giant, who some of her was just a coal-heaver named Rateau, well known to half the night-birds of the city as an asthmatic reprobate, while others vowed that he was— Name him not, friend Couton! Saint-Just broke in with a sarcastic chuckle. I pray thee, spare the feelings of citizen Chauvelin. And his bold, provoking eyes shot a glance of cool irony on the unfortunate victim of his taunt. Chauvelin made no retort, pressed his thin lips more tightly together, as if to smother an incipient expression of the resentment which he felt. Instinctively, his glance sought those of Robespierre, who sat by, still apparently disinterested and impassive, with head bent and arms crossed over his narrow chest. Ah, yes, here interposed Talion unctuously. Citizen Chauvelin has had one or two opportunities of measuring his prowess against that of the mysterious Englishman, but we are told that, despite his great talents, he has met with no success in that direction. Do not tease our modest friend Chauvelin, I pray you, citizen. Theresia broke in gaily. The Scarlet Pimpernel, that is the name of the mysterious Englishman, is it not? Is far more elusive and a thousand times more resourceful and daring than any mere man can possibly conceive. Tis woman's wits that will bring him to his knees one day. You can take my word for that. Your wits, citoyen? Robespierre had spoken. It was the first time, since the discussion had turned on the present subject, that he had opened his lips. All eyes were at once reverentially turned to him. His own, cold and sarcastic, were fixed upon Theresia Cabarus. She returned his glance with provoking coolness, shrugged her splendid shoulders, and retorted airily, Oh, you want a woman with some talent as a sleuth-hound, a female counterpart of Citizen Chauvelin. I have no genius in that direction. Why not? Robespierre went on dryly. You, fair Citoyen, would be well qualified to deal with the Scarlet Pimpernel, seeing that your adorer, Bertrand Moncrief, appears to be a protégé of the mysterious League. At this taunt, uttered by the dictator with deliberate emphasis, like one who knows what he is talking about, Tarleon gave a gasp, and his sallow cheeks became the colour of lead. But Theresia placed her cool, reassuring hand upon his. Bertrand Moncrief, she said serenely, is no adorer of mine. He forswore his allegiance to me on the day that I plighted my throat to Citizen Tallien. That is as may be, Robespierre retorted coldly, but he certainly was the leader of the gang of traitors whom that meddlesome English rabble chose to snatch away to-night from the vengeance of a justly incensed populace. How do you know that, citizen Robespierre? Theresia asked. 
she was still maintaining an outwardly calm attitude her voice was apparently quite steady her glance absolutely serene only talion's keen perceptions were able to note the almost wax-like pallor which had spread over her cheeks and the strained high-pitched tone of her usually mellow voice why do you suppose citizen she insisted that bertrand moncrief had anything to do with the fracas to-night methought he had immigrated to england or somewhere she added airily after after i gave him his definite congé did you think that citoyen robespierre rejoined with a wry smile then let me tell you that you are under a misapprehension moncrief the traitor was the leader of the gang that tried to rouse the people against me to-night you ask me how i know it he added icily well i saw him that is all ah exclaimed theresia in well-played mild astonishment you say bertrand moncrief citizen he is in paris then seemingly strange he never came to see me strange indeed what does he look like some people have told me that he is getting fat the discussion had now resolved itself into a duel between these two the ruthless dictator sure of his power and the beautiful woman conscious of hers the atmosphere of the drably furnished room had become electrical every one felt it every man instinctively held his breath conscious of the quickening of his pulses of the accelerated beating of his heart both the duelists appeared perfectly calm of the two in truth robespierre appeared the most moved his staccato voice the drumming of his pointed fingers upon the arms of his chair suggested that the banter of the beautiful theresia was getting on his nerves it was like the lashing of a puma's tail the irritation of a tempter unaccustomed to being provoked and theresia was clever enough above all woman enough to note that since the dictator was moved he could not be perfectly sure of his ground he would not display this secret irritation if by a word he could confound his beautiful adversary and openly threaten where now he only insinuated he saw bertrand in the rue saint honore was the sum total of her quick reasoning but he does not know that he is here i wonder what it is he does want came as an afterthought the one that really suffered throughout and suffered acutely was talion he would have given all that he possessed to know for a certainty that bertrand moncrief was no longer in the house surely theresia would not be foolhardy enough to provoke the powerful dictator into one of those paroxysms of spiteful fury for which he was notorious fury wherein he might be capable of anything insulting his hostess setting his spies to search her apartments for a traitor if he suspected one of lying hidden away somewhere in truth talion trembling for his beloved was ready to swoon how marvellous she was how serene while men held their breath before the inexorable despot she went on teasing the tiger even though he had already begun to snarl i entreat you citizen robespierre she said with a pout to tell me if bertrand moncrief has grown fat that i cannot tell you citoyen robespierre replied curtly having recognized my enemy i no longer paid heed to him my attention was arrested by his rescuer that elusive scarlet pimpernel she broke in gaily unrecognizable to all save to citizen robespierre under the disguise of an asthmatic garçon 
Ah, would I had been there. I would you had, Citoyen, he retorted. You would have realized that to refuse your help to unmask an abominable spy after such an episode is tantamount to treason. Her gaiety dropped from her like a mantle. In a moment she was serious, puzzled. A frown appeared between her brows. Her dark eyes flashed, rapidly inquiring, suspicious, fearful upon Robespierre. To refuse my help? she asked slowly. My help in unmasking a spy? I do not understand. She looked from one man to the other. Chauvelin was the only one who would not meet her gaze. No, not the only one. Talion, too, appeared absorbed in contemplating his fingernails. Citizen Talien, she queried harshly, what does this mean? It means just what I said, Robespierre intervened coldly. That abominable English spy has fooled us all. You said yourself that tis a woman's wit that will bring that elusive adventurer to his knees one day. Why not yours? Theresia gave no immediate reply. She was meditating. Here, then, was this other means to her hand, whereby she was to propitiate the man-eating tiger, turn his snarl into a purr, obtain immunity for herself and her future lord. But what a prospect! I fear me, citizen Robespierre, she said after a while, that you overestimate the keenness of my wits. Impossible, he reported dryly, and Saint-Just, ever the echo of his friend's unspoken words, added with a great show of gallantry the citoyen cabarrus even from her prison in bordeaux succeeded in snaring our friend talian and making him the slave of her beauty then why not the scarlet pimpernel was couton's simple conclusion the scarlet pimpernel theresia exclaimed with a shrug of her handsome shoulders the scarlet pimpernel forsooth why meseems that no one knows who he is just now you all affirmed that he was a coal-heaver named Rateau. I cannot make love to a coal-heaver, can I? Citizen Chauvelin knows who the Scarlet Pimpernel is. Couton went on deliberately. He will put you on the right track. All we want is that he should be at your feet. It is so easy for the Citoyen Gabarou to accomplish that. But if you know who he is, she urged, why do you need my help? Because, Saint-Just replied, the moment he lands in France, he shed his identity, as a man would a coat. Here, there, everywhere, he is more elusive than a ghost, for a ghost is always the same, whilst the Scarlet Pimpernel is never twice alike. A coal-heaver one day, a prince of dandies the next. He has lodgings in every quarter of Paris, and quits them at a moment's notice. He has confederates everywhere, concierge, cabaret-keepers, soldiers, vagabonds. He has been a public letter-writer, a sergeant of the National Guard, a rogue, a thief. Tis only in England that he is always the same, and citizen Chauvelin can identify him there. Tis there that you can see him, citoyen, there that you can spread your nets for him. From thence that you can lure him to France in your train, like you lured citizen Talian to obey your every whim in Bordeaux. Once a man hath fallen a victim to the charms of the beautiful Teresa Cabarrus, added the young demagogue gallantly, she need only to beckon, and he will follow, as does citizen Talian. 
as the Bertrand Moncrief, as do so many others. Bring the scarlet pimpernel to your feet here in Paris, citoyen, and we will do the rest. While his young devotee spoke thus vehemently, Robespierre had relapsed into his usual pose of affected detachment. His head was bent, his arms were folded across his chest. He appeared to be asleep. When Saint-Just paused, Theresia waited a while, her dark eyes fixed on the great man who had conceived this monstrous project, monstrous because of the treachery that it demanded. Theresia Cabarrus had, in truth, identified herself with the revolutionary government. She had promised to marry Talion, who, outwardly at least, was as bloodthirsty and ruthless as was Robespierre himself. But she was a woman, and not a demon. She had refused to sell Bertrand Moncrief in order to pander to Talion's fear of Robespierre, to entice a man, whoever he was, into making love to her and then betray him to his death, was in itself an abhorrent idea. What she might do if actual danger of death threatened her, she did not know. No human soul can with certainty say, I would not do this or that under any circumstances whatever. Circumstance and impulse are the only two forces that create cowards or heroes. Principles, will-power, virtue are really subservient to those two. If they prove the stronger, everything in man must yield to them. And Theresia Cabarrus had not yet been tried by force of circumstance or driven by force of impulse. Self-preservation was her dominant law, and she had not yet been in actual fear of death. This is not a justification on the part of this voracious chronicle of Theresia's subsequent actions. It is an explanation. Faced with this demand upon her on the part of the most powerful despot in France, she hesitated, even though she did not altogether dare to refuse. Woman-like, she tried to temporize. She appeared puzzled, frowned, then asked vaguely, Is it then that you wish me to go to England? Saint-Just nodded. But— she continued, in the same indeterminate manner. Meseems that you talk very glibly of my—what shall I say—my proposed dalliance with the mysterious Englishman. Suppose he—he he does not respond. Impossible, Couton broke in quickly. Oh, she protested. Impossible. Englishmen are known to be prudish, moral. What? And if the man is married, what then? The Citoyen Cabarrus underrates her powers. Saint-Just reposted glibly. Theresia, I entreat. Talion put in dolefully. He felt that the interview, from which he had hoped so much, was proving a failure, nay, worse, for he realized that Robespierre, thwarted in his desire, would bitterly resent Theresia's positive refusal to help him. Eh, what? She reposted lightly. And it is you, Citizen Talion who would push me into this erotic adventure? If faith, your trust in me is highly flattering. Have you not thought that in the process I might fall in love with the Scarlet Pimpernel myself? He is young, they say, handsome, adventurous, and I am to try and capture his fancy. The butterfly is to dance around the flame. No, no, I am too much afraid that I may singe my wings. Does that mean— Robespierre put in coldly, That you refuse us your help, Citoyen Cabarrus? Yes, I refuse, she replied calmly. 
The project does not please me, I confess. Not even if we guaranteed immunity to your lover, Bertrand Mocrif? She gave a slight shudder. Her lips felt dry, and she passed her tongue rapidly over them. I have no lover, except Citizen Talien, she said steadily, and placed her fingers, which had suddenly become ice-cold, upon the clasped hands of her future lord. Then she rose, thereby giving the signal for the breaking up of the little party. In truth, she knew as well as Talion that the meeting had been a failure. Talion was looking sallow and terribly worried. Robespierre, taciturn and sullen, gave her one threatening glance before he took his leave. You know, Citoyen, he said coldly, that the nation has means at its disposal for compelling its citizens to do their duty. Ah, bah, retorted the fair Spaniard, shrugging her shoulders. I am not a citizen of France, and even your unerring public prosecutor would find it difficult to frame an accusation against me. Again she laughed, determined to appear gay and inconsequent through it all. Think how the accusation would sound, citizen Robespierre, she went on mockingly. The citoyen Cabarou, for refusing to make amorous overtures to the mysterious Englishman known as the Scarlet Pimpernel, and for refusing to administer a love-filt to him as prepared by Mother Terreau, as a bidding of citizen Robespierre. Confess, confess, she added, and her rippling laugh had a genuine note of merriment in it at last. That we none of us would survive such ridicule. Theresia Cabarus was a clever woman, and by speaking the word ridicule, she had touched the one weak chink in the tyrant's armour. But it is not always safe to prod a tiger, even with a child's cane, or even from behind protecting bars. Talion knew this well enough. He was on tenterhooks, longing to see the others depart, so that he might throw himself once again at Theresia's feet and implore her to obey the despot's commands. But Theresia appeared unwilling to give him such another chance. She professed intense fatigue bade him good-night with such obvious finality that he dared not outstay his welcome a few moments later they had all gone their gracious hostess accompanied them to the door since pepita had by this time certainly gone to bed the little procession was formed with saint-just and chauvelin supporting their palsied comrade robespierre detached and silent and finally talion whose last appealing look to his beloved would have melted a heart of stone. End of chapter 10